Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and it turns out this podcast is actually just a framing device for our review. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. Finally, a Wes Anderson movie about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. This is the intro to a podcast about a movie. About a magazine. Mm, nice, nice. <laughs> Love it. Those Love are, it. of course, all reference to the fact that today we're going to be discussing Wes Anderson's latest film, The French Dispatch, which is out right now in limited release. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And you can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast if you're enjoying what you're hearing. But speaking of what you're hearing, guys, I mean, uh, eagle-eyed listeners, eagle-eared listeners. Mm. <laughs> Do uh, eagles have good ears? I we'll have, have yeah, I, I imagine Absolutely. so. I imagine ears so. at all? Uh, <laughs> eagle-eared listeners will have noticed that, hey, the theme song is extremely different this week. Oh, it's, so it's cool. The new theme song. Different. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So A triumph. It's a triumph. It's a triumph. So let's talk a little bit about the theme song. Okay, so... Uh, the, the the original slash film cast theme song, beloved for many many years. Devendra, you connected with Adam Warrock to, mm-hmm. to like develop that theme song, and it has become kind of part of slash film cast lore, right? And it has served us well for for so so long. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I um, remember talking with him about that actually as we were. It was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and it was really cool. It was really cool because he was starting to do this very cool like um nerd rap you know career too. Like he yeah. was rapping about all sorts of cool stuff. That, that it, it's funny because that theme song he, he is now uh working in like music academics now i believe so mm. he, he's not in the industry anymore but we've still been using the song so cool and yeah. we're grateful and, to him for yeah, that i mean yeah. unbelievable that's Extremely really cool. grateful yeah and you can find his work at adamwarrock.bandcamp.com and uh for those who don't know it incorporates the score from john powell's uh how to train your dragon Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, and I quite, in, you know, quite. In, I think I've seen that movie more than any other movie in theaters, perhaps. Uh, so huge fan. <laughs> we all love that movie. Of that. We, yeah. we all love the movie, the series, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it, it's it's an iconic, iconic theme song. I would say, like a lot of people have fond memories. For for many people, when they hear that theme song, it's time to kick back with the fellows at the Slash Filmcast. But of course, uh, if you've been listening. You know that we are no longer the slash film guest. We are now the film guest. Uh, we we spun off on our own. We went indie uh, this past summer, and so it didn't really make sense to keep using the slash film cast theme song anymore. Uh, and we st- sort of started talking about like how are we going to redo the theme song? We could use like pre existing music, get something from a stock website. You know, that's one approach we could have used. Um, but that would have ignored the fact that we know so many talented people who are listeners. Uh, and one of those listeners just happens to be Tim McEwen, who plays for a band called The Midnight. My favorite incre- band in the world, actually. Is, is literally your favorite band, number one band? Yeah, now that Prince is dead. <laughs> the Midnight is a delightful band. I actually spent quite a bit of time listening to the music this past week. Uh, and I actually got to see them live in Seattle. And Jeff, I yeah, think I'm you're seeing go- them I'm live going, this week. I'm going tonight to see them live. I mean, I've seen them live many times, or not many times, several times. Uh, but, uh, you know, my kids love The Midnight. Uh, we have five preset channels on my my home uh uh, integrated home music system, and one of them is the Midnight Channel on Pandora. Like yes. w- the Midnight is, it's ingrained in my family. 
we love that music. I, I more people need to know about this band. I mean, they're they're getting huge. They, yes, they're I mean, touring the world. The, their Seattle uh, tour was sold out. I could not yeah. buy a ticket myself if I want yeah. if I wanted to try. So um, they're they're doing really well, and we're really happy about that. And you know, one of the cosmic one of the great cosmic mysteries of the planet, guys, is that the people who listen to this podcast, many of them, are way way more talented than us. You know, um, most of them. I, would, I mean, I would, yeah, the overwhelming vast majority. Say, yes, uh, it's not a high bar to, to surmount. You know, I would argue that's but... correct. There, there are a few of you out there, <laughs> <laughs> just talentless. Yeah, you know? it's true. It's true. Like a handful. Um, yeah, but, not very but many. The, but the most, majority, the vast majority of the people are way more talented than we are. And, and Tim McEwen is one of them. Uh, he's working on a new project called Varsity Blue. Uh, which we are all really excited about. And he agreed to uh, work on the new theme song for the film cast, uh, which we I, been, was, I yep. was literally jumping up and down in my house <laughs> when he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the theme song to the show. And I was like, ah, yeah, I he, he's not it. busy or anything. You yeah. Know? Tour, touring yeah. around the country, uh, yeah. playing being to sold a, out being venues. An actual rock star. <laughs> like he's an actual real life rock star. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, we were so grateful. Uh, Jeff, appreciate you making the connection with Tim. And uh, and I've been delighted to be able to talk with him as we've worked out kind of some of the details of the of the song and the legal rights to the song and so on. Uh, but it, yeah, is now it, it, all it was set. A, it was difficult to work out because we are so far beneath his pay grade. Yes, yes. <laughs> we are so, literally like systems don't exist to accommodate someone <laughs> yeah, of our are. station. <laughs> It's so true. We are, we are so, ants begging for you know, yeah, like, the fact that he gives us the time of day at all is yes. kind of shocking, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm like, the, you know, I'm talking with the folks at his licensing company, and I'm like, hey, yeah. So is this is for a podcast. And they're like, a what? What is this? I don't understand what this is for. Yeah. We usually license this music to like big budget movies. What's happening? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah exactly. But we are so thrilled that it all worked out. And they so, were like, who do you represent, Dave? And you're like. <laughs> Me? 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 I'm me? Um, <laughs> we are so thrilled uh, to be able to present you this new theme song. It will be our new theme song uh, at the beginning of every episode of the film cast. And we hope you like it. I, I know there will be an adjustment period. You know, there are people yeah. who love the, the old theme song. Yeah, they, they love the old theme song. They're not going to be used to it. And uh, we're just going to say, trust us. Trust trust the process. Um, and we'll uh, we'll see how it plays out. But we ha have the fullest confidence in this. We think it sounds, all three of us, have vetted this. We all think it sounds awesome. Yeah. And uh, we are really psyched to We're have it. We're proud as, of it. Yeah. We're grateful for yes. it. We're excited about it. And in two years, you're not going to imagine exactly. the show ha not having this theme You'll song. be like, what? There was a different theme song before? Yeah. You know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be wild. So, uh, yeah, we are so th psyched. Uh, yeah. You know, the first time I heard it, you know, I was just like freaking out that like, A, Tim McEwen is helping us write theme the film cast theme music and B, uh, that it sounds so amazing. So yeah. it's a whole different vibe than what was there before. And I think that's appropriate because, yeah. you know, updated for modern sensibilities. There's, there's like a bit of like trap music. There's some nice beats in there. Like dig it. It's a good yeah. yeah. The coolest thing about it. I mean, as lovely and uh, sort of appropriate as it was for us to have a, you know, a film score incorporated into the theme song. I love that. This is wholly original music. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it can define our show and not be like, oh, it's a reference yeah. to something else. You <laughs> right. know? We, we have yeah, a yeah. score now. You yeah. know? We don't <laughs> right. have just like plugged in soundtrack music. OK, right. <laughs> now I, I will say if you listen to his upcoming Varsity Blue album, 
it will sound very familiar if you listen to the theme song. Well, so I'm just going to put yes. that out there. But yes, this is a custom version of uh, one of his tracks, and I think mm-hmm. it's uh, it's very uh, special that we have it. It's very unique. And so we are hugely thankful to Tim McEwen. Uh, you should listen to The Midnight, which yes. is an awesome band. Check them out Incredible. wherever you can stream music. And they are currently touring around the country right now. Very cool. Uh, so if you have a chance to check out their tour, please do, uh, and you feel safe doing so, please do that. Um, so thank you to Tim uh, for his time, and uh, thank you out there, listeners, for your patience and support uh, of what we're doing here. And we hope you enjoy the new sound. So, all right. That is the new theme song. And I'm I'm really excited to unveil to the world. I do also want to call out, by the way, that if you were were a patron or are a patron, you got a early taste of the theme song over at yeah. patreon.com slash film podcast. Yeah, patrons getting early stuff all the time yes, these days. It's amazing. You know, you know what's my whole thing is, Jeff? Um under deliver and under promise. I think that's is that right? No. no. I think it's under promise and then way and then, under deliver, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Um, but no, it's under promise over deliver. We didn't say in the Patreon that we'd be giving like early things or anything like that, but we have been doing that. Uh, we've been uh, trying to give some nice goodies over to the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast. So if you want to uh, go out on a limb and support us there, uh, we will try to find some ways to make that membership special. I think right. it's uh, make no promises and as few <laughs> deliveries as possible. I th- yes, as few deliverables, I think is really <laughs> technically the term. Uh, okay, so... Uh, we got a bunch of emails about Eternals and I want to get into them, but I want to do that in the After Dark where we can really go into spoilers. I will read one email from Ben who wrote into slashfilmcast.gmail.com. This is a very, very minor spoiler. Uh, I I don't even really consider it a spoiler, but, you know, skip over the next couple minutes. But like this, this doesn't really talk about the plot. Uh, However, I am going to reveal that in Eternals, uh, there were references to Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. In Eternals. And we spent a bit of time in the review uh, talking about what that meant and whether or not these characters actually existed in the universe of the film. Well, Ben from Pittsburgh wrote into slash from Kessagemail.com uh, and he says, quote, it's pretty clear from the context of the f- film that Superman and Batman are fictional in Eternals right. universe. They, they exist For instance, as fictional characters. Right. That's what right. I thought well, after, you were saying. Yeah. After Brian Tyree Henry's character calls Icarus Superman, he sarcastically refers to him as Clark as they're walking mm-hmm. inside. And when mm-hmm. Kamal Najani's chauffeur is co- introduced, they compare him to Batman's butler, Alfred. In both of these cases, the references to the DC superheroes <laughs> indicate that the MCU characters are familiar with not just Batman and Superman, but their yeah. secret identities, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. <laughs> something which be... they almost certainly wouldn't know about if these were indeed real superheroes. It would be actually truly hilarious if those characters were real and they were just spilling <laughs> spilling the beans well, for everybody. Yeah. If you are an eternal, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, know. You maybe know. uh maybe you f- put two and two together, you know? Maybe it was also <laughs> a, uh, do you ever think do you ever think maybe it could have been a uh, Spider-Man far from home situation Devendra, uh-huh, you know, like uh-huh. yeah, yeah. maybe uh something was exposed Wait, somehow did, did, and did anybody think like they they were actually characters in the world? I, I, from... I think Dave floated that concept yeah, as okay. a potential we were down open the line. To the possibility. I wasn't like oh, okay. definitely I, I, their real life in the world. I, yeah. I was not clear about that because yes. I, I would have you shot, shot you down, down right down there. Right no, away. What are you talking about? We we definitely <laughs> talked that length. I mean, my theory was that it, it is equally bonkers to assume yeah, that yes, yes. someone would create comic books about superheroes when there are actual superheroes. Yeah. Is you know I made the reference to like you know World War II comics. It's like well yeah there was actually a World War II, and then mm-hmm. somebody also made comics about them. I think mm. I think part of the the dig there too is that Superman was uh, was 
potentially just uh, inspired by uh, what's his face, you know, by Robert Stark. Yeah. 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 So then it's like Marvel literally owning DC. Which is there. Yeah. Which is (laughs) hilarious and also kind of ridiculous because it's. Obviously and demonstrably the opposite case, yes. right? Yes. It is, you know, uh, <laughs> Superman was the first superhero, you know, for real in real life. But also, Icarus <laughs> is, cl- I mean, all of the Eternals are clearly a riff on the JLA, right? It's, really? It's, you, you don't think Icarus from Eternals predates Superman, Jeff? <laughs> well, no, it's just funny that <laughs> they would even yeah, yeah, make yeah. that canonical because it's like well that's it's so (laughs) inverted from the real jeff i don't mean to step on your toes but i believe hercules was the first superhero Mm. okay okay fair enough yeah you mean that the disney movie yes the disney one (laughs) all right well thanks for uh that email and yeah there's there's many more emails about eternals we'll try to get to them in the after dark when we can go into full spoilers um but wanted to to mention that as a fun little follow-up all right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching this week. Uh, and then we got some weekly, cl- weekly plugs before our French dispatch review. So I had a chance to travel across the country, get to Los Angeles this week. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Some fine way folks. across, way across. All the way from All the way Seattle, across. across the country yeah. to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and how, how I about watched... you, you traveled vertically across the country? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we that's can right. classify it. That's right. Uh, you went down the country. Uh huh. So I, I had a chance to travel down to Los Angeles and I watched a movie uh, on the plane called Red Notice. Have you guys heard of this movie? Everybody's p- watching this. Biggest opening in the history of Netflix, my friend. Sure. It, biggest opening in the history of Netflix. It is currently, as we record this, the number one movie on Netflix in the United God States. God help right us now. all. I think it's the yeah. number one movie on the planet. Let me say this. Uh, I feel like... <laughs> Have you guys heard the quote from Nietzsche? Ba- uh, battle yeah, not with them. monsters. God is dead. Ba- <laughs> battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. Yes. If you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. That's what I this movie like, made you think of? I feel like when I watched this movie, I was gazing into the abyss. Sure. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not even joking. I mean, I, I was Put gazing that on the into poster, the abyss. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> not in not of like life or anything like that, but more of the entertainment industry. Absolutely. Right? Like, I, I saw when I saw the trailer for this movie, it turned me into the Joker. Because I was just like, <laughs> I hate everything about this. And somehow this is the biggest stars and this is what the biggest stars in the world chose to do. But please tell tell us, Dave, how was the movie? Well, I, I'm gonna start by saying that this is the perfect plane movie. Uh, if you are, you know, taking a plane trip, you're going to take a plane trip and you need to watch a movie mm-hmm. or if you're working out in the elliptical, like this is a great movie to watch. <laughs> a good plane set. Settings. Yeah. So, uh, what kind so of planes is, you're on have ellipticals. It is not like completely <laughs> devoid of any value at all to society. Uh, but I think that what is incredibly depressing about this movie is it, it it's it's a nothing <laughs> movie it's 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 nothing mm-hmm. there's there's mm-hmm. nothing there right it's literally just these three big stars the rock uh gal gadot and ryan reynolds just hanging out in a plot that yeah. makes absolutely no sense uh completely nonsensical kind of having these adventures cracking wise doing a few action scenes none of which are particularly inventive and but we which, like these people so much dave I, wouldn't you like to hang with them for just it's a little just, bit yeah. and, and, just, and nothing else? All of is them this, together at the same time? <laughs> on this screen, seems like a movie uh, made where they just played their personas. Right? Yes. They played oh, their on-screen personas and they're like, let's make a movie out of the Ryan Reynolds shtick 
and the rock shtick and the Gal Gadot shtick. And is that, well, is that Gal- it? Because I've seen clips of it. Yeah, yes. Gal Gadot doesn't really have a shtick uh, yet, as far as I can tell. I mean, she's much closer to her character from Fast uh, and Furious franchise mm-hmm. than she is Wonder Woman in this movie. But I think that, you know, I, t- I tweeted this after I watched it. Deadpool was the worst thing to happen to Ryan Reynolds artistically. Uh, or the best thing. I don't know. It, it was best the, thing to happen to his career. Worst thing to happen to him artistically. Because the, before mm-hmm. Deadpool, right? Think of the movies Ryan Reynolds was doing. Okay, this he was, guy's he was been doing, trying to be a, a star forever, as I recall. Right, but he was doing movies like... Uh, uh, he, he was certainly making movies like Green Lantern, but he was also doing movies like uh, The Voices, which is like a really incredible movie in my opinion like very you, audacious movie right for sure you, you cannot go straight to the voices though dave like you gotta go the the way this guy got on my radar and everybody's yeah. radar is like pizza van place. wilder two, two guys place. a girl in a pizza place two guys a girl yes absolutely and van wilder and that was like 1999 to early 2000s right but he was also doing interesting work in movies like smoke and aces and the nines right later later and that, that, that yeah. is phase two of Ryan Reynolds' career. Okay, that is mid-2000s to late-2000s. The dude made a movie where he is buried in a coffin, and the Love whole it. movie takes place inside of a coffin. He was trying, you know? Now that's his career. hey uh, <laughs> That was in 2010. Get it, because he's trapped inside a thing mm-hmm. that he made. Uh, Deadpool hit. When did Deadpool hit? Around 2015? Is that right? Well, let's um, not forget the first appearance of Deadpool was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, maybe. So that was yeah. 2009. That is still phase two, Ryan Reynolds. So I am really sad that basically since Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds is playing... Sorry, uh, Deadpool is 2016. Since yep. Deadpool... Phase three, yep. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is basically playing that character in every single movie. Like, that's Absolutely. just... There is nothing interesting or different like we just talked about free guy recently here on the podcast i think and you know like it he's the same guy that's like unconfident movie. deadpool we we are now stuck with this persona forever <laughs> and it's that a is charming, the greatest delightful tragedy. thing to see it is but <laughs> he's he's very good at playing that yeah here yeah. here's my criticism yeah. of the rock too and it's something we've talked about is he is playing the same guy over and over again it is the rock being the best, like the best boy scout on earth. Everybody has to like him. He's always trying to save his family. Maybe there's no family in this movie. I haven't seen, I haven't seen the whole thing, but that it, it is, it is a confluence of these personas that they were just in a movie together doing the same thing. But it was so fun to watch them do it. But I, I, I find this I criticism know. hollow coming from the guy that, cannot wait to watch both the next top gun and the next mission impossible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know you, you know you know what's interesting about those movies though is that at least <laughs> at I'm least Tom Cruise... the, the, i'm not saying this movie is equally as good as those movies yeah, i'm yeah, saying yeah. the the criticism of the persona transcending the movie title you know like like mm-hmm. tom cruise yeah. is just playing tom cruise in but all those what, movies what has well, maybe, happened maybe with that red notice was actually a good or interesting movie i would yes. feel differently about it right, right. and like, the tom cruise persona has evolved let's be clear he is not the same tom cruise he was in the 80s or the 90s like the the macquarie mission impossibles have presented us a tired man yes that, that tom cruise has seen <laughs> some shit Jeff. he's seen some shit <laughs> yes. yeah but I, I'm just saying that it's a different criticism to say the movie is bad than it is to say 
Ryan Reynolds is just playing the same part in every movie. Like, there's a lot I of can, people that play the same part. I can in every walk movie. and chew gum at the same time. Joe. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, these, these are compatible ideas. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, I, I, I agree I, that it would be great if the movie was better. But also, I don't think quote, the problem with the movie is that Ryan Reynolds is playing Deadpool over and over. You, you know, to quote another poet, uh, I contain <laughs> multitudes, Jeff, and mm-hmm. uh, I can criticize uh, Ryan Reynolds or not not criticize, lament. The fact that Ryan Reynolds is going to just be the same guy forever, For and sure. also like the Mission Impossible movies, that, that yeah. is uh, that is a thing I can do because they're but, at least trying to be different. But let, let, Phase Two, Ryan Reynolds, guys, because you were talking <laughs> about this, Dave. Like Phase Two, I'm thinking Smoke and Aces, mm-hmm. Adventureland, yep. Buried. Like that—that yep. that is some good shit. Yeah, that was good. At and least it's interesting shit. It's interesting yeah. shit. So, but imagine those movies with Deadpool in them. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's yeah, true. I, Imagine like watching to. Buried, but it's Deadpool. You know, so he's going to do that eventually. <laughs> he's going to do that skit. Yeah. Overall thoughts on Red Notice is basically like it's just you're watching these folks hang out. The plot makes no sense. It is the thinnest veneer of just some kind of motivation for these characters to go do something. Um, they spent probably, I'm guessing, in the hundreds of millions of dollars to, uh, to make this movie. Uh, and it is a nothing. It's there's nothing there, and it's also the most successful movie on Netflix. It's, it's also just like mm-hmm. really inoffensive. I I was gonna talk about this separately, and I, I'll probably bring it up at a later point. But I watched um, I watched uh, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream in 4K recently, and that guy yeah, has you just really needed to movie. feel. Yeah, yeah, you need to, to feel, feel something, something after and, this. Uh, yeah. He gives that guy gives good commentary, and he's he's talking about how like. Uh, it's weird how like the MPAA like makes um, sex like very difficult to see. It's rated R if there's any sex in it. Uh, but if there's if if a if a, a thousand people get murdered, it's okay as long as you don't show any blood. Like that that is the system that we live in, and it's uh, easy to forget how ridiculous it is. But th- that's kind of the kind of violence that's in Red Notice, right? Is that like tons of people get mowed down and killed, but you never see any blood. You know what I mean? So it's just it's kind of like Disney version of what an action film is um, with no stakes, nothing particularly interesting going on cinematically in the movie and just people that you may or may not by this point find insufferable, at least their personas. Uh, so that's Red Notice and it is the number one movie in the world uh, and it is the future of entertainment. Welcome welcome to your I mean, world. Yeah. In, in the same way, I, I don't mean to keep defending this movie because I have not seen it. <laughs> You're Although really, really to, going hard. Yeah, you really want yeah. to. I want to yeah. see it. I do want to see it, actually. Uh-huh. Um, but in the same way, David, that you contain multitudes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we can perhaps idealistically think that, that the movie-going audiences contain multitudes. And sometimes people just want to be on their elliptical on the plane. You know, sometimes you just want how, something. How else is the plane going to stay in the sky? Exactly. You know? You're going to power that plane, baby. <laughs> keep going. But, uh, <laughs> sometimes I, th- I think... Everything that you've used to describe this movie is probably the secret to its success, that it is inoffensive, easy to watch. It starts charming people doing, (laughs) you know, things that don't demand your full attention. I mean, it's the perfect Netflix and chill movie, right? And you've just described The Rock's entire career, too, at this point, or his recent career, his new phase of everybody got to like me. Everybody has to like me, please, for the love of God. We all don't have to watch, you know, all don't have to be in the mood for Requiem for a Dream all the time, right? Well... I mean, that's that's the end state I would like our audience to get to. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that one other thing Red Notice makes abundantly clear is that there is a 
big gulf between what people on the internet say and think is good and what people actually watch uh, and or what you know the vast majority of well, film watching audiences are that's nothing watching. new right? nothing know? new nothing new but uh, this is a, a really striking way to hit that home um, I, I guess I feel like in the old days, you know, there, the same gulf existed, but we were watching movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and not Red Notice. So I'm sure if you looked at... Which, by the way, is heavily inspired by Raiders of the Lost Ark. So oh, interesting. Uh-huh. I yeah. bet if you looked at the calendar year that Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, what, 81, whatever that was, mm-hmm. um, and you would be able to find a bunch of successful garbage movies, you know? Oh, absolutely. It just, it, it, it's always been the case. Let's look at the top grossing movies of 1981, Jeff. Let's do it. I mean, maybe. Do you, you want to guess? Wrong. Well, let, let's let's take a quick break and uh, thank a sponsor, and then we'll come back and and talk about the top grossing movies in 1981. <laughs> the content everybody's waiting for. Yep, 81. That's a, a great tease. That's called a tease, guys. It's called a tease. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you, you're probably gonna lose this one, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Storyworth. This holiday season, if you want to give a gift to your loved ones. It makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that you share. You need to know about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every single week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've never thought to ask, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? And then after a year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I've done this now both for my mom and for my dad. And as much as they love the book that resulted, and I love it, and I am able to pass it down to my kids to know more about their grandparents, even more than that, they loved the experience of doing it. The weekly chance to share memories that I never knew about. And those emails are forwarded to me, so I got to experience it in real time over the year. It felt like a gift to myself for the year, getting to read those emails and find out things about these people that have been in my life for my whole life. With StoryWorth, you're giving those you love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash filmcast. Yes, they're still using slash filmcast. But that gets you $10 off on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash slash filmcast to save $10 on your first purchase. All right. Uh, we are back. Let's talk about the top grossing movies in 1981. You want to guess what the number one w- one was, Jeff? In 81? Yeah. I mean, is it Raider of the Lost Ark? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. Good, taste. Good taste there, audience. $168 million. Um, number two, Superman 2. I, right. maybe I, I adore sure. it. Yeah. Not a yeah. bad one. Uh, number three, nine to five. I don't know if you guys know this one. I, I also like that one. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yes. Dolly Parton and there you go. Uh, uh, Lily Tomlin. And Wait, which list stripes. are you looking at? Which list are you looking at, Dave? I'm looking stripes. at uh, the numbers. The, the-numbers.com. The-numbers, okay. 
I'm seeing different uh, domestic. Oh, here. interesting. On box interesting. office okay. mojo. Okay. Um, number five. Uh, number four. Stripes. Number five. Arthur. Number six. Cannonball Run. This is probably the Cannonball Run's one. terrible. Yeah, boom, is... boom. <laughs> that's it. But that's, you, you I, have I to guess, get way down there. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got to get yeah. to number six before you find something that's like truly terrible. You know? Yeah. Uh, this is number one, Jeffrey. Number yeah, one. you're right. Yeah. Basically, American tastes have gotten worse over time. You're saying American think... tastes have gotten exactly six worse. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> A movie like exactly. Excalibur, I'm looking at box office Mojo's data, and Excalibur is number six mm. among domestic rows. So this mm. list is a little different from what you're reading, got Dave. It, but, got it. but still, you know, but interesting. Still. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, therefore, I win the argument, Jeff. No, I'm just, you're, you're, you're right. Like, there's, there's definitely some trash on there. There was garbage, I, but there's, I guess, it feels I guess like, you know, just... Yeah. Even even with literally all those movies we just named, I guess I feel like many of them were trying for something. No, you're right, right. but yeah. I, I would I would argue that yeah. Cannonball Run is exactly the same thing. It's just hanging out with people that are charming. Yes, in a yeah. in a loosely nothing plot that doesn't do it. It's no reason yeah. for it. It's just I want to watch people I already like be yeah. themselves. You know, it's Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise and Sammy Davis Jr. just being themselves. Uh, so it's, it's almost the same thing, you know? Well, speaking of Netflix, uh, which is what Red Notice can be viewed on, you know, Netflix isn't all bad. There are actually good movies that can be found on there as well. <laughs> One of them is called Found. I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie. Um, it is a 2021 documentary directed by Amanda Lippitz. I haven't seen Amanda Lippitz's other movie, Step, but I've heard it's great. Uh, it's another documentary as well. Uh, and it won uh, many awards when it came out. I uh, watched this movie found on Netflix literally this morning because I was preparing to talk about it on today's. I wanted to prepare to talk about it on today's podcast, and it's very good, guys. Th- this is a movie where uh, I-, I am not exaggerating when I say that no movie has completely destroyed me emotionally quicker than this movie. Gotcha. Uh, like three minutes in, I'm like weeping. Yeah. You're, you're like, like straight out of Requiem for a Dream. You're like, Hit me harder. <laughs> Something more. More. Uh, yeah, it definitely makes for a good pairing with Requiem for a Dream. No, uh-huh. no doubt. Um, but basically, Found is a documentary about three Asian American girls uh, who were uh, adopted into different families. And then after doing 23andMe, they were able to locate each other. Like, and they, they're all like, uh, they're not sisters, but they're like related to each other by blood. They're like cousins. And, it's like that triplets movie that I, from a couple of years ago. Uh, Three Identical Strangers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I didn't, I forgot about that one. Um, but this one kind of explores the idea of... Uh, sort of transracial adoption because all these uh, girls were adopted by white families um, and they kind of meet each other, get to know each other, become friends, become part of each other's lives, and then travel to China to try to find their roots and their biological families. Uh, and that's, that's the movie. Uh, and I'm not going to say like how things play out or anything like that. I think it's really worth watching, but man, this movie is just completely it's it's so emotional and so powerful, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. 
Um, you're, the documentary style is very unvarnished. There's like no talking heads. You're kind of just following these girls around as they kind of go on this this journey of theirs, and you feel like you're you're part of their group. And that is a huge accomplishment when it comes to documentary filmmaking to feel like you're unobtrusive and kind of just just there as as a you know part of the camera crew. And uh, I, I think it's extraordinary, and it really makes you think about how we define family and uh, and which bonds we hold dearest to us the only other thing i'll say about this movie is just that uh one of the most powerful things in the movie is about like the so the reason why these girls were all put up for adoption is because china had this one child policy i don't know if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with it but basically for a couple a few decades um parents were not allowed to have more than one child without significant financial penalty and so as a result uh, because it was financially advantageous for parents to have a male in their family, if the parents had a girl, uh, they would often just abandon these children. Like they would leave them in a box underneath a bridge or something, or on a bridge. And <laughs> hundreds of thousands Sorry. of children were abandoned like this. And uh, and these children are like picked up in orphanages. And these like they show footage of these orphanages and there's just like, 20 babies mm. in like a one room per room in an orphanage Ugh, and it's just like you you just see the kind of it's like a horrifying thing that this happened oh, it's unbelievable. within the last yeah. 50 years you know what i'm saying and like, then and then china was just like eh, oops we're, we're, we're yeah, not oops, that, that, was a bad, that was a terrible sorry, idea sorry, guys. Should, shouldn't have done that shouldn't have done that yeah um god god so the the part about the orphanages and the people that took care of children that was like the most uh, powerful part, you know, I'm getting like emotional talking about it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, these people who like took care of these babies that were abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the movie's very good. It's called found. Uh, it, it is not a really good exploration of the policy and like kind of the political geopolitical implications and sociological implications of policy. It just kind of follows these girls around. If you're looking for that, there is a movie called one child nation that's streaming on prime video. That's actually very good for that. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to recommend Found if you're looking for a heartfelt documentary about family and what family means today and um, and about what it means to be adopted and, and dealing with, with that as well. So that's Found. It's streaming on Netflix. Those do are not, a couple things. Do not try to watch it on your elliptical. <laughs> do not watch that one on your elliptical. You will not be able to finish the workout. Um, okay. Those are some things I've been watching. Devendra, I am curious what you've been watching this week. Yeah, I've been checking out a couple of shows, uh, in particular, some great animated shows. So Star Trek Prodigy, which is the latest Star Trek series that debuted on Paramount Plus recently. Uh, This one's about kids. It's kind of more kid focused. This one's rated uh, TVY7. This show is incredible, guys. It is about a group of uh, alien teenagers who are kind of on this uh, sort of prison planet at the beginning, and um, they escape by finding a Starfleet ship just just hanging around. And they take the ship, and they're just off on adventures. Mm, um, cool and, idea. Uh, it's cool. It's cool. And there's a hologram of Captain Janeway in the ship, too. So you get a bit more of a... Kate Mulgrew. It, Kate or Mulgrew action. Like, you get yeah. her voice in. You get some of her personality. This show is really cool, though, because it is about... Um, yeah, my colleague Chris Nottis in Gadget made a really good point. This is about the people you never really see on Star Trek, right? Like this, the show, the series has always been about these super cool people 
you know, um, yeah, from uh, from the Federation who are out here visiting these alien worlds and bringing technology to them. And it, it's always about the superiority of those folks. Um, this one centers people like in the galaxy who don't have technology, who don't have access to things and who are living lives that are not as uh, nice and clean as they are, you know, for the people who live on starships. And that's honestly something that's always kind of bugged me about Star Trek, too. Like, it, it always felt a little sterile as a view of the future. Um, I really like how grounded the series is. Uh, all the characters are really cool. Um, there's some great voice work here. Jason Manzukis is one of the characters. John Noble, the great John Noble from, you know, Fringe and Lord of the Rings and a whole bunch of other things, plays the villain voice. And he gives, like, a Darth Vader level performance here too like he is kind of scary um and john noble's voice is very good at portraying that as well and the show's at this point i've seen like i think three episodes are out this uh right now um it's about the kids escaping this prison planet uh you know visiting planets and you know going on bits of adventures and also trying to run away from john noble's character uh it's a little complicated because his uh daughter uh, the, that character's daughter is also somebody that they basically kidnapped to bring on the ship. And she's like a complicated character too. Cause she's like, she's the daughter, you know, of Darth Vader basically. Um, but clearly has more going on and is curious about the world. Um, I, I just found the show really cool. I've been watching it with my daughter, Sophia. Uh, there are some scary bits so maybe not great for a lot of young kids, but she really likes the inventive character designs. The animation is really good. And uh, it just looks cool, too. Like, there's a lot of imagery in here that I've never seen in Star Trek before. And honestly, not in a lot of science fiction. So it's worth checking out. It's not just for kids. I think it's a genuinely great show. All right, it's interesting that, you mm-hmm. know, Star Trek is to Paramount Plus as Star Wars is to Disney Plus. You know, they're oh, really, yeah. they're really uh, expanding and, and doing lots of different kinds of shows in the Star Trek mm-hmm. universe, which I think is is really a good idea. I think it's it a is. really good idea to yeah. expand Star Trek and make it into more than what it has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of I'm, building the whole, the whole service around it in many ways. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, CBS was big on that. Like CBS, uh, what was it before? It was uh, the CBS streaming, you know. CBS, CBS All Access. All which Access, became yeah. Paramount Plus. Yeah. Which became Paramount Plus, but they were re- they banked a ton of money on Star Trek Discovery, which is a really expensive looking show. So they were like right, doing which is streaming, the, streaming only as well, right? Like yep, I don't streaming, think that air, aired on TV. Streaming as as I only. Remember. I think yeah. they did like maybe a... a I think part of the season during like downtime on CBS or something. Um, but yeah. And now all of Star Trek is like the key for Paramount plus uh, they beat Disney to that strategy. And I think they're really hammering on it. And most of these shows are good. Star Trek prodigy. I think is fantastic. We've talked about lower decks. Picard to Fair me ball. is Fair an ball. absolute <laughs> failure as a show. Such uh, a disappointment. Dis- Discovery, though, is really interesting. It's not like that is like Star Trek meets Star Wars, but I think it's uh, it's really fun to watch. So, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well here and it's nice to target different demographics. Yeah, I had some fun with Lower Decks as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Star Trek Prodigy is streaming right now on Paramount Plus and also uh, it got renewed for season two already. So, yep. Um, last week. So, uh, Davinder, anything else you've been watching? Yeah, I want to bring up Arcane, the new show that just launched on Netflix. Uh, this is a League of Legends show. And if if you were to pitch me a show that I would not give a, a crap about at all, 
you would lead it by saying this is a League of Legends show. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty much. So, um, Le- League of Legends. What is League of Legends for those who don't know? I don't. I mean, Jeff, you're it's better. A MOBA. It's a MOBA. It's a very, very yeah. popular. What is uh, a MOBA for those who don't know, Jeff? <laughs> we got to go uh, up the, uh, peel the onion here. <laughs> multi-user online battle arena is what MOBA stands for. But uh-huh. uh, it is a, basically a big team, so fantasy-based team battling i mean i could get into mm-hmm. the details no it's one cares. a whole thing yeah. it's Basically, a video game it's a it's, it's, it's a video game it, it is the game. genre of video game that also killed the genre i really liked rts's real-time uh, strategy these yeah. because of these games uh we don't Age have any more four just came out Age it's of, back baby rts it's is back, back. It, it's taken a while right it took them <laughs> decades um but like warcraft 3 right all this stuff started from like those types of games yeah. uh anyway i don't i don't care at all, all about <laughs> league of legends but it turns out that universe is a really good frame for a, a very cool science fiction slash fantasy story. Um, this show is a little more mature. It's a rated TV 14. So it's more for like, you know, adolescents and teenagers. Um, they say but, shit. Yeah, they, they say things. There's violence. Um, it's a little like uh, characters can be sexy at times. Like it's just uh, it, it's really different. Um, but I really dig this. Like it is a great fantasy world. Um, kind of a typical thing where it's a city where there's, there's an under, uh, kind of like a lower world basically where everybody's poor and does not have like the resources that the people on the upper levels have on the, the very nice city. It's about that power dynamic. It's about, um, you know, how these characters can exist in a world where, Hey, somebody just made magic on demand. You know, and how does that change our society and our politics and everything? And uh, it's also, it's just really cool. Like, there's a lot of action in the show. It is so well animated. It is CG animation, but it looks a little like uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So there's uh, detail in the characters. There's, like, great facial expressions. It just seems alive and almost, like, anime-esque. So I just, you know, as a, as a fan of animation is the sort of thing I like to see. I think it's well worth checking out if you like these sorts of uh, fantasy stories. You know, if you're looking for a cool new universe to explore, you don't have to care about League of Legends. I'm sure for fans there are probably some Easter eggs in there. But as a as just like a cool fantasy series to watch, I think this is really, really compelling. So that's Arcane on Netflix. Jeff, you've had a chance to check out Arcane on Netflix as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I will agree with everything that Devinder said and, and even go further. I think the show is incredible. It's really incredible. Good. Yeah. It's uh the as Devinder was saying, the world building is great. The animation is, I think, the finest animation I've seen on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it even surpasses what if. Um I, it well, is and what if it was a little stilted, to be honest. Like it was detailed, but the characters didn't really express much face-wise. This yeah. is like 2D it's exquisite. level. I mean, yeah. it is it's painterly, beautiful. There's so much detail. There are these incredible shots where you'll have stuff going on in the foreground, and then like in the background, they've even animated like city people walking by yeah. and just yeah. it's so full of life and movement and detail. It is unbelievably beautiful i i i was so taken by the animation quality and i think it's interesting i love mobas but league of legends was never my moba of choice i never played that game i don't know its lore i don't know its characters and i honestly think that may be a benefit Mm -hmm. in this case because the show is so good i'm not distracted by looking for easter eggs or going oh that's how they're using this character or you know how if you ever watch like a um like a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat like mm-hmm. you know um narrative thing and it's like oh they they shoehorned Kano into this role <laughs> because they needed a person 
You yep. just constantly thinking, or at least this is how I do it. I, I'm constantly kind of thinking about how they adapted the video game, which isn't really basically narrative at all, into this narrative sequence. Because that's exactly what's happening here, right? League of Legends is, I, you know, as, as I said, I don't know the game, but I know yeah. enough to know that narrative isn't what it's primarily doing I, so, th- I think it has at least more than street fighter did right yes. like, there was more than just like the ending text you would get when you beat a game yeah. but there's also there's also in the same way there's also you know dozens and dozens of characters yeah and so i'm assuming if i know league of legends i would be p- picking out all these characters that show up in the show and going oh that's how they're using this character or that's how they and there are things like like in the first the first few moments of the first episode they keep showing this stack of cupcakes and mm-hmm. i'm i'm guessing that has a relevance in league <laughs> of legends that i don't know about but because it just seemed like a weird non sequitur but and i'm sure there's lots of those kinds of easter eggs as you were saying davindra but i just am not aware of that so i i was able to appreciate the show as a show instead of an adaptation and right, i think that right. actually made me like it more because it's a good show and the characters none of it sticks out as being a video game adaptation per se, or, or like, oh, this is weird and, and doesn't make sense, but they had to do it because it's based on this video game property. It just feels like a mm-hmm. really coherent, cool universe and characters that all are, I mean, the voice acting is great. Yeah. Haley Steinfeld is one of the lead voices, like just incredible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's her name? I can never remember her name, but she's from, um, she's the, the big matriarch from um expanse yeah what, what's her yeah. name shura agdashlu like oh, she's, she's in so great i love I wonder her, if her voice. voice pops up in anything it's like yeah okay i'm in. yeah i mean it's so iconic her voice is like you can't miss it but um anyway it's it's a uh, i am really high on this show and i'm gonna keep watching it I, I just couldn't believe it doesn't have any right to be as good as it is <laughs> absolutely yeah normally normally we we are used to just uh picking up scraps you know yeah. in, in video game adaptations <laughs> but this is gold. This is it really brilliant. is. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, that is arcane, and it sounds like it's potentially worth checking out, or maybe even definitely worth checking out, even if definitely. you're not a fan of the games, right? Yes, definitely so. worth yes. checking out. It's also they're doing like a kind of a staggered release for this one too. So I believe it's like three episodes every week for the next couple of weeks. So it is kind of cool how Netflix is also playing around with its uh, release yeah, model release too. schedule. Yeah, exactly, I, yeah. I honestly think it was very smart of them and maybe intentional that they didn't call it League of Legends, the show. You know, like that it's called Arcane, I think perhaps is more welcoming to folks that aren't like, oh, it's just a video game show. Because I I think that really Mm -hmm. minimizes how good it is. Yeah, the League people will find it. It's the, uh, the everyone else. Minimizes how good it is, Jeff. Minimizes the, you know, are you trying to hint (laughs) that uh, video game adaptations haven't had a long and illustrious history? (laughs) I mean, you're not looking forward to Uncharted? Come on. You didn't didn't see the new Uncharted trailer? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right, that's Arcane. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And please, nobody needs to email me about Castlevania and all the other video game adaptations that are pretty good. <laughs> all, all the other ones. <laughs> Jeff must watch Castlevania. What is happening? <laughs> hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. Do not let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who is not an elite athlete, you know, an elite other thing maybe anyway i'm just trying to make it through my day without tension theragun can help i'm telling you my wife and i use theragun religiously it's so nice oh god it's so nice theragun what is it okay theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device 
that releases your deepest muscle tension using scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. I am in love with the Theragun. It was the one thing we needed to pack when we moved (laughs) because my wife and I use it nightly. We take turns. I'll Theragun her back and neck. She'll Theragun my back and neck. And it just feels so much better. You don't even have to spend too much time doing it. It's so powerful that just not even full 60 seconds. And we feel so much better. And Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds and thousands of customers, and me. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash filmcast therabody t-h-e-r-a-b-o-d-y dot com slash f-i-l-m-c-a-s-t Devendra, what else have you been watching this week? Want to quickly also shout out Passing, the film by Rebecca Hall. This is something I've been really looking forward to for a while because it also stars some you know, people I love like Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega and Andrew ha- Andre Holland. Uh, this is a story, is very New York story. It's a period story about um, two black women in New York and they're kind of lighter skinned. So this is a sh- this is a movie that's all about that idea of how people of color, um, if your skin tone is light enough, you, you can actually kind of pass in white society and the sort of privileges that unlocks. Uh, we've seen stories like this before. There have been a lot of films about uh, what happens basically when a person of color ends up kind of like infiltrating white society and then bad things happen to them. What's interesting about this one is that uh, Tessa Thompson stars as... Um, As a woman living in Harlem, you know, she's surrounded by her black community. She loves being part of that community. She runs into Ruth Nega's character, who is a childhood friend, but because of her hair color and her complexion, she can completely pass as white. She has a white husband played by um, Alexander Skarsgård and that she is living just like a completely false life and able to keep up this charade. And this movie is entirely about that tension because uh, Tessa Thompson character is kind of annoyed by seeing what her friend is doing. Uh, but Renega's character honestly is trying to almost wants to get back into the community. She's pretty much left behind. Um, it's a really intriguing movie about friendship and obsession. Uh, there is a lot going on here. It's also filmed beautifully. It's in like a very stark black and white. Um, so it is, it just like, doesn't look like many other movies today. It also doesn't look like, um, I don't, I don't know if they shot this on film or not, but there's a very like lush organic look to the black and white texture. So I really just appreciated that. Um, it's a short film, but I think it's really, really interesting because it kind of explores something that it explores this idea in ways we haven't really seen before. And also like in the run up to this movie, 
um, Rebecca Hall has been talking about like her heritage, like her grandfather, I believe, was uh, was black and was able to pass in society. And that kind of led her family to where she is now. And this movie is kind of like a tribute to that, I guess. Uh, really fascinating. Definitely worth watching. And uh, yeah, l- I love it. Like, I think you guys should definitely check it out. I've heard it's great. I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's on Netflix. Uh, the movie's name is Passing. Yep. And Rebecca Hallman, I like love super her so underrated much. just mm-hmm. person, I think. Uh, she recently was in The Night House, which is a movie that is still on my list. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to checking that out. And this is her directorial debut. For sure. She also uh, starred in Tales from the Loop, that Amazon series that uh, I, can, I talk about it. And it's as if it doesn't exist like so many Amazon shows. I don't know. Um, hey, people, go watch Tales from the Loop. Go watch The Underground Railroad. Uh, which was shafted, you know? So, yeah, please. I, I love and fully support Devendra yeah. continuing to... I, I got to do Amazon's so, work for them, apparently. Yeah, apparently, I, billions yeah. aren't enough. I could to, never uh, comment on movies. any of that. I could never yeah. comment on I know, so that, I could, I'm actually just free to say whatever I want because you can't say anything. Um, so it's, it's actually pretty great. Like, I don't know what is wrong with this company. Like, uh, And uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But I, I am actually being serious here because Amazon is a company that's produced some of the best TV series and uh, original films we've had recently. And it seems like, yeah, there's nothing being talked about there. Anyway, go watch the Underground Railroad, everybody. All right. Do that before the year is over. Uh, Okay. That's what Devinja's been watching. Jeff Kanata, what are you watching? Uh, Well, in in addition to Arcane, I have uh, checked out the new Paul Rudd, Will Ferrell show that is on Apple TV Plus. Yes. Called The Shrink Next Door. Uh, now, let me ask you guys. Mm-hmm. Ask us. When you've got a Paul Rudd uh-huh. starring alongside uh-huh. Will Ferrell, uh-huh. how many laughs per minute are you expecting? As I few mean, as possible. 18. Yeah. Yeah. 18 <laughs> is a pretty good number. Uh-huh. 60% uh, of the time, it works every time. Yeah, uh, this, yeah, this show has no laughs. Uh, this uh-huh. show is not no, a This comedy. is a modern dramedy. We can't have people laugh, apparently. Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, you don't I mean, put any jokes in there. I guess... It's on me, you know, for looking at the cast and expecting a feel of <laughs> a fun romp. Uh, not that. Uh, I think the show is interesting, but it is very odd. Uh, based on real events and then based on the podcast about those real events, The Shrink Next Door is basically about a guy who's sort of down on his luck. This is the Will Ferrell character. And he goes to this psychiatrist played by Paul Rudd and the the psychiatrist begins to take advantage of him in financially and all kinds of ways that are really quite horrible. Um, But there are not really any laughs mind here throughout it. It's, it's, it's a tragic tale of sad people. And it is very strange to me because I mean, I I would assume that they look uh, sort of like the real life versions of these characters, but it seems to me that you would expect the the casting to be reversed in this case. Because uh, Paul Rudd mm-hmm. is playing this... It's like they're in two different shows, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell is in a very dark, uh, serious drama. And he's playing a character who is flawed and has you know real uh, emotional issues that he's working through and is... Planet Straight is play. You know, I mean, this is um, you know Will Ferrell from um, what's the name of the sh- what's the name of that movie that I, I 
Oh, but just in my head and it popped out. Anyway, there's been some Will Ferrell movies where he's, you know, not doing Will Ferrell. He's, he's being, he's, he's being a serious actor. What is it? Stra- not, I want to say Stranger Things, but it's something Stranger like Than that. Fiction? Is Stranger Than Fiction. Yes, Thank you. Yes. Great movie. It was good. It was Great good. Movie. Yeah. I really like that movie. But, you know, that's this version of Will Ferrell. It's very much a drama Will Ferrell. Meanwhile, Paul Rudd is playing this cartoon character. Perhaps that's how the person was in real life. I don't know. But he's playing this sort of uh, larger than life. Uh, hey, how you doing? I'm this guy. Hey, oh boy, everybody <laughs> over here. You know, it's it's a very, um, it's a very, it, it feels like the Will Ferrell what part. accents you're combining there. But yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not far from what he's doing. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> It feels like the Will Ferrell part, right? That there's a big, goofy caricature part. And the, and the Paul Rudd should be playing the like, you know, straight laced kind of normal dude. Um, but it's flip-flopped and it feels very discordant. It feels like they're in, in different shows to a large extent. But, you know, I've watched several episodes of this. I, I don't, I don't know if I like it. It is not bad. It is interesting. And you see very quickly how this, this shrink, uh, is taking advantage of this, this, poor man and in, in myriad ways. And it's kind of, um, it, it's kind of entertaining to watch that happen. And the, and the show takes place over multiple time periods. And you see this, it's decades long, uh, con job really, uh, that happens and the, how it, how the, the person does it just sort of the, through the strength of his charisma and personality is, <laughs> is interesting to watch, but also, and the whole show just has a weird tone and a weird vibe that hasn't really clicked with me. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm of two minds about this show. And I feel like the show itself is of two minds. It feels like a very mishmash of tone. that I don't know if it works entirely. One, one complaint I've heard about it is that it takes a fairly simple story and kind of expands it out to a series length without necessarily being able to justify that. I wonder if you felt that at all. I, I think that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, clearly the um, the podcast evidently was six episodes, I think, um, and this you know and, and and takes place over decades, as I said. But you get it in the first few minutes, right? You get the first interaction with these guys when you know Paul Rudd like gets him to pay for his lunch, you know, for no reason. It just sort of in a in a way of like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any money on me, and he's like, oh, let me pay. He's like, oh, well, this is how it's going to be, you know? And then you just see that and examples of that grow in scale over the next several episodes. But I think it's, it's correct that you sort of get it very fast. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's not based on a podcast like serial where it's revealing layers as it goes, you know, it very much is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, well, I'm sorry you're not enjoying it. Sounds like you're probably not going to finish the swing on this one, huh? I, I don't know if I will. Yeah. I Like I said, I watched three of them in a row, and I was like, I, I want to see this through, but yeah, it hasn't it's really t- got It's tough when me. you get to that point, right? Yeah. Because it's like, I'm already, am I pot committed at this point? Right. But I think Divinger and I are both supporters of piecing out, if you feel Peace like. out, yeah. You, too you, much you, great stuff. There's too much other stuff, right? Yeah. So... Um, but that's the shrink next door. I'm really glad you watched it. I was very curious to hear what you thought of it, Jeff. So, uh, I mean, uh, my wife and I both were really excited when we saw it. there's going to be a Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd show. I mean, Paul Rudd is my wife's, you know, crush. She, it's like her number one favorite 
He's the mm-hmm. sexiest man alive, also. So mm-hmm. you know she has mm-hmm. good taste, evidently. He's also um, a vampire, so yeah, yeah, has not aged since the nineties, right? Uh, so I mean, she's always excited about anything Paul Rudd, but the the two of them together, we're like, this is perfect relaxation watching, like perfect nighttime, you know, half hour show. Where you just it's going to give us some laughs and have, feel feel good. It's nope, not that at all, not that at all. Mm. That's okay. Well, that's the shrink next door. It's streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. Jeff, anything else you've been watching this week? Yes, numerous folks uh, via hashtag slash tag and other means have reached out to me and said that I should watch the show Heels, which is on Stars, uh, the Stars Network. I don't have the Stars Network. I don't pay for the Stars Network. Um, but I was intrigued by the show because, as I've mentioned several times, numerous times over the years, uh, I am a wrestling fan, professional wrestling fan. And this is a show about professional wrestling. It, it is an hour-long drama set in the world of professional wrestling. Focuses around two brothers that are both wrestlers. Um, and, you know, it's sort of doing the prestige hour drama thing, but set in this world, which is kind of, a, I think, a really great idea. It's a, I think I've never seen that world dramatized in this way before. Luckily... I didn't have to subscribe to Stars to check out the first episode. You can watch the first episode of Heels for free without subscribing to Stars, which is pretty cool. So I checked out uh, episode one of Heels on Stars, and I will not be continuing with this show. Uh, it's a bit <laughs> disappointing. I think the show had so much potential, and I freely admit that maybe the show achieves its potential after episode one, episode ones of shows, pilots of shows are often not the best representation of the show as a whole, particularly in light of my criticisms of this show, which are that it's not really made for people that actually like wrestling. Mm. <laughs> it's made for people that have no idea what wrestling is, <laughs> or at least episode one was. And episode one yeah. clearly had to do a lot of heavy lifting, or at least I, it feels like there were some studio notes of them going, yeah, nobody's going to understand this. You got to, you got to explain all of this to people. Right. Because there are extended scenes of, you know, there's the scene where they're all standing around at the barbecue and somebody's like, well, wrestling's fake, right? And they go, fake? You're not allowed to say that. And, and then they have this cold conversation about how wrestling's not actually fake. But they know the ending before they go. Yeah, well, and it's like, oh, it's so pandering and and tedious. Um and then, you know, there's another sequence where they have to explain what kayfabe is. And I get that, right? Most humans don't know what kayfabe is. But if you're tuning in because you're a wrestling fan, you do know what that is. And it just feels so, it's like, oh, this is not for me. And the, the characters, I mean, the, the main guy is so obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin, like trying to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's like, what if Stone Cold Steve Austin was a brother with Hulk Hogan and they batted heads because one of them is the writer? I guess, theoretically, because in historically, wrestlers have been bookers, but they don't talk about it like that. So they kind of get it wrong. He's like a writer who writes scripts, which is not really how it works. I mean, there are is some script writing if they're, you know, cutting a promo. Oftentimes, writers at WWE or other... I mean, this is... The show takes place in a world that is much smaller. It's more of an indie promotion than like a WWE would be. But even then, they don't write scripts per se, but there's like all this stuff about 
the guy sitting down to a typewriter and typing up the script about how he's going to, how his, what his brother's going to say. And it, he has to preserve the integrity of his, of his writing. And it's just like, A, you're kind of getting all this wrong. And B, like, that's the least interesting way to talk about this world is mm -hmm. the writer is precious about his writing and the brother doesn't want to lose the match. So he rebels against the writing. And it's like, Ugh. you know all this stuff like they don't come because of you they come because of my writing you know they they come to see my characters not your charisma it's like uh it's the most it feels like a show written by people that don't actually like wrestling um that's interesting because yeah. I, I think a lot of reviews have uh talked about your same criticisms Catherine van arendong for instance at vulture said heels would be a better show if it could quit with the hand-holding and if it could stand on the power of its own convictions without needing to fold in a cliff note summary of its every move. Yes. Um, uh, and well, yet, much more eloquent than I said it. <laughs> and yet, heels can win you over despite the clunkiness. End quote. Well, it um, didn't win me over. Perhaps if I had stayed with it and watched more episodes, I would have been. Maybe it, yeah, I, it that, departs from that over time. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, it did get renewed for season two as well. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, think it, I would have watched more if it didn't require me to have a Stars subscription to watch more. <laughs> right. Uh, but it wasn't enough for me to go, oh, I'm going to subscribe to Stars for this. You know? Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, that's Heels Episode 1, Season 1. It's on Stars right now. And uh, if you think that Heels is worth watching, tweet at Jeff. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. I don't want you <laughs> to get a bunch of tweets about Heels. People have, a lot of people recommended it to me, and I appreciate that. And I was really genuinely excited to watch it. Because I'm like, I, I do think the concept is great. I, I do think it's, it would be really cool to have a, um, a, what's the comparison? Like a ballers or, you know, ballers is like about football, but it's yeah. not about, but like do that in the world of professional wrestling would be awesome. Uh, it's, I just don't think that's what this is. Mm -hmm. You you, th I mean, you think it would be cool to have a ballers for wrestling? I mean, there, I, I there mean, was the glow, right? Glow, it's like, glow. It's course. like an entourage yeah. for football, you know? Like, yeah, yeah no, you, ballers is the bad reference. But I yeah. was trying yeah. to think of like a, a thing that's about a real thing, but it's yeah. about the sort of behind the scenes of the real thing. Glow is the better example. And I yes, honestly, well, as I was watching Heels, I thought, well, the only reason this show got greenlighted at all is because of Glow. Yeah, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah. They're like, well, Glow, but the male side. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Heels. Season one. All right, folks, let's get to uh, weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, a part of the show each week where we plug something that we have created or have been in or uh, just something else that we uh, are going to recommend. But uh, I had a chance to talk to a listener who uh, got COVID-19 after watching Dune in an IMAX screening. Oh, man. Um, That's what happens with Dune. Uh, evidently, Dune will give you IMAX, uh, give you COVID. That's my, my understanding. The, hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the conversation is not necessarily representative of uh, what might happen to you if you go to a movie screening. And obviously, there's uh, other better medical sources of information. We, you know, we are not sure. medical experts or anything like that. So you should not take it as any kind of medical advice to listen to this episode. But... Uh, it did strike me that a I um, saw Dune in, in IMAX recently, and it could have been at the same screening yeah. as this guy. Those were uh, also bigger theaters than normal too, so you'd think right. like the airflow would be better on an. He's IMAX from Seattle, um, yeah. And but the the reason that kicked this conversation off was because there's an article in the Atlantic by Alexis Madrigal about how uh, he has been extremely careful for 18 months, and then he went to a wedding. 
uh, in Louisiana where everyone was masked. I'm sorry, uh, unmasked, but also vaxxed. Mm. And he still got COVID. And he's fine physically, but it ended up being a massive pain in the ass to his life, you know, because yeah. you need to tell everyone and then like they all need to tell people, you know, like you need to yeah. like trace yourself. And, and uh, many people are still dying from COVID-19 every day. Uh, there's breakthrough cases where, you know, yeah. you can have serious complications. Numbers are but, rising as we get into cold season. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. But many people, uh, you might be fully vaccinated, you might get it, and then nothing that bad happens. You know, you get mm-hmm, sick a little bit, and mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, Which is the, and, the point of being vaccinated, to be clear. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. But it might be a situation now where, like, the inconvenience is now greater mm-hmm. than any physical impacts. For, for, for some people. Good. Not, not sure. everyone. For some people. And that's kind of what this conversation is kind of talking about. It's like, for the people who, for whom this is kind of, you, you, you are lucky enough for this to just be a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not a life-threatening situation. Yeah, um, it's a huge pain in the ass. Cer- certainly a yeah. big change from last year, right? Where we had no vaccines, yes. right? And you, you got it, and you were just hoping and praying it, it goes well, and you deal with this severe thing. Yeah, I got my dose three recently. I don't know if you nice. guys, yeah, yeah I have mine scheduled for next week. It mm-hmm. freaking knocked me out. Oh yeah, I just it, I had a bigger impact from dose three than the other two. But oh man, um, get, no get your flu shots too, everybody. Yeah. Like I I am planning to do uh, a booster and flu shot at the same time, and nice. just like completely. Yeah, just get all booster knocked out for a day. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Booster, booster, booster. Make it a thing. A a booster. Bluf, okay. Anyway, um, that song culturally relevant. That's my conversation over there. Divinder Hardware. Uh, what uh, is your weekly plug? I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, we talked about a bunch of stuff like Black Friday preparations and stuff and a cool $249 Surface that Microsoft announced. But I really want to highlight my interview with Ethan Zuckerman, who is a UMass Amherst professor and technology researcher. Um, we talked a bit about uh, that area because he's lived there forever. Um, but he's also a, you know, he's a technology thinker. He wrote a really cool article at The Atlantic called, um, Hey, Facebook, I built the metaverse 27 years ago. Which oh, is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, I read that piece. It's yeah, a good that, piece. Was a, that was a great piece. And he did a tripod. I've been following his work forever, too. So I, I was glad to have a chance to talk to him. He has been some he's somebody who's been thinking about technology and how we relate to it, um, specifically around like social media. He has this great idea of like we got to like maybe these giant social networks are not the way we should go. Maybe we should focus more on like. Uh, you know, local, homegrown, organic social media, because those tend to work better um, because we are social animals and you give us technology, we will make something like social media. Um, I, I think it was a really cool conversation. So if you have questions about the metaverse and what Facebook is up to or what our history around the metaverse has been, I think it's worth checking out. So check out the Engadget podcast. Uh, if there's any company that has shown they are worthy of our trust when it comes to the next greatest technology, Absolutely. it's Facebook. Is it yep. not? Yep. Um, no one has shown more adept at handling the extremely serious issues that are facing us as a society than Facebook. So. It's, uh, well, it's, we don't it's, have it's to trust Facebook. We can trust this other company, Meta. Hmm, yeah. Indeed. They sound interesting. Je- I, I like the cut of their jib. You know, they have, <laughs> they have a cool pitch. <laughs> I'm being extremely sarcastic for those yeah. who don't know. Um, yeah, Jeff, yeah. your weekly plug. The Dungeon Run is a show that I do. It's uh, my storytelling show. If you are curious about how I would tell a story, well, you can check it out. We have uh, over 100 episodes. In fact, episode 101 happens this Wednesday. I've had a couple of weeks off. We did a two-shot that I was not involved with. Uh, our our own Ron Ogden, one of our players, DM'd a two-shot that was really fun. It was kind of a Western called a town called Ricochet. So if you want to watch just a two-shot, check that out. But I'm coming back to the main story that we do uh, for episode 101. You can jump in the show at any point. You don't have to start at episode one. Although 
it's cool and you can because they're on YouTube and you can listen to them as an audio podcast. It works kind of like an audio book. Really fun. Great community. Really wonderful people. And it's a show I'm extremely proud of. If you want to watch live, we're on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. Uh, you can also find archived episodes there on the Twitch or on YouTube or as an audio podcast. The Dungeon Run. And congrats um, on 100, Jeff. That's a yeah, Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. One, a couple other weekly plugs, of course. I want to say uh, if you want to support this podcast, uh, there's a very easy way to do that by going to patreon.com slash film podcast. You can sign up for ad-free episodes or exclusive After Darks. And uh, I, I'm just going to say we have gotten a lot of comments recently uh, from folks saying that they believe the... Like, I, I'm not just making this up this is actual you can check the tapes but there are people who have said many people have said recently dozens of them who said that the after dark is worth every dollar of yeah <laughs> have, have we not seen this exact tons of yet? tons of people so saying that they so are good. so so happy with the after yes. dark yes. yeah so if you, you let us loose i heard you guys had a ton of fun last time <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun is too is strong not the word i would use <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for that but of course never donate to us if it in any way causes you any financial hardship. There's a very easy way to support us. If that is your situation, you can support us for free by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, and just takes a few seconds to star rate us, leave us a review. It really does help us to stand out. We really appreciate that. Finally, of course, uh, use hashtag slash tag if you want to plug anything that you want us to watch. Uh, many of the stuff we, we, many of the things we talk about in the uh, what we've been watching often come from that. All right, let's get to our review of the French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. That was from the trailer for The French Dispatch, the newest film by writer-director Wes Anderson. It's playing right now in limited release. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. So I am very curious to Vinger Hardware. I mean, we've had some uh, ups and downs with Wes Anderson, you know? Sure, sure. Um, there's mostly been some amazing recently, movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mostly ups, mostly ups, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh Grand Budapest Hotel, probably my favorite movie of his. That came mm-hmm. out in 2014. Pretty pretty spectacular. I loved Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, you know, Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox. Um, I don't and, know yeah. if I if I had to pick my favorite Wes Anderson, I don't know what I would pick. Because there, there's so Grand, many good for things. Me, it's Grand Budapest yeah. Hotel. So yeah. many good ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, there have been some misses. I, you know, I think you and I, Devendra, think that 
uh, Darjeeling Limited is pretty terrible. I, uh, um, you know, I have issues with that movie on multiple levels. I know people who genuinely like that movie. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's 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 just a personal thing. Yeah. Indeed, uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, mostly mostly hits, a few misses. Overall, I think this is one of the most interesting filmmakers working today. One of the most exciting filmmakers working today. What did you think of the French Dispatch? I love this movie, and. I'll say this: I did not expect to go in loving it because I've heard the uh, I heard in the run up to this movie that this was kind of uh, inspired by uh, the beginnings of the New Yorker, you know, and how that was uh, initially thought to be like this literary journal with some great writers and stuff. And I feel like a lot of New York pe- media people. I've tried, you know, a New Yorker subscription. I have the tote bag to prove it, uh, <laughs> but I felt like uh, Scott Pilgrim, you know, reading my first couple issues and just being like this is boring. Like, it's just not, it was just not for me. I love some New Yorker pieces. And I, I love the like intellectual uh, wealth of like what that magazine can explore. Um, thankfully, I, I don't think, um, even though they like directly thank New Yorker writers towards the end, I'm not sure like how closely related they are. Um, but as a, as an ode to journalism, I found this movie deeply affecting um, like it's, uh, it's an exploration of journalistic curiosity, which is something that's really important to me and something I think about every day. Um, like so many things, uh, this movie features perhaps the best editor I've ever seen it, the ideal editor, right? Like, um, Bill Murray plays the, the, uh, the editor and founder of this, uh, of the French dispatch paper, uh, a dispatch of the Canvas, Kansas evening sun. We must be clear. Um, and he does it so well. Like, I love the relationship he has with his writers. He's the sort of guy who kind of lets people get away with anything because all he wants to do is protect his writers. And, you know, as a as somebody who writes for a living, that's a feeling uh, I would love to have at some point. <laughs> Just complete, complete protection from an editor. Yeah, uh, it's kind of this like I like platonic ideal of an editor. It's beautiful. Kind of, it's yeah. beautiful. There's also a pervasive sense of like romanticism and a sense of loss in this movie. And I think... That is also something Wes Anderson does really well. You know, for as much as we criticize, like, I, I think his, like, tweeness, the style that he tends to uh, deploy often is criticized for just being a little too cute. But so many of his movies have, like, these deep, like, just deep narrative hits that will, like, hit you in the gut. Um, and I think this movie kind of does that for me several times, too. So we will talk about that in specifics. I I was just floored watching this thing, and I did not expect to be so moved by it. But by the end, I was just like, yeah, it, it fully got me. Even if all these stories, uh, it is an anthology, all these stories don't quite um, hit on the same level. But I found them all really interesting, and this just seems like the ultimate, um, ultimate like evolution of his style. You know, he's always had a very specific aesthetic, uh, very very controlled uh, set designs, uh, very like um was like mirrored shots like really really a symmetrical composition there there's a lot of things he's always deployed um and it made me realize like watching this movie is like Wes Anderson makes cartoons for adults mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's kind of it like what what tends to work so much is the visual gags are the visual gags and the comedy of that uh just a camera panning to something kind of funny and Whenever I see a Wes Anderson movie, I see I hear like grown adults just laughing at like the silliest things. And I kind of appreciate that, too. 
Um, and yeah, this movie even delves into animation at one point and kind of really just sells that. So yeah, I, I, I think it represents everything I love about Wes Anderson's stories. And um, to me is like the ideal Wes Anderson movie, maybe not for everybody. Cause I have seen some of the negative reviews and if you're not sold in his style, then yeah, the, this movie will not push you towards it. But uh, as the ultimate culmination of everything Wes Anderson, I think it's excellent. I would say it's one of the most extreme versions of his style. It is like the logical endpoint of his style where every frame feels extremely meticulously constructed. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I, I I can't imagine what the budget is. Or the budget was around twenty five million dollars. But like Yeah, it this just does not looks, feel like an expensive movie. Yeah. I, I would I would argue differently. I would argue it feels very expensive just because of the number of setups they needed to use. Like very big every sets. shot yeah. almost yeah. looks like it's a different set it's either a different set or it's a different angle of this like of a very large set that they have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think it, these uh tableaus are all very, very intricate. Uh and I think that more so than in other movies, you know, I watched like French Dispatch. I'm sorry, um, Grand Budapest Hotel recently, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. th- this is an even more extreme example of like every single shot just being extremely meticulous mm-hmm. and kind of uh, mannered in a way, but not in a bad way. I think Jeff a little Kanata- more subdued yeah. than that movie too. Like, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this. Go ahead. Yeah, Jeff Kanata, go ahead. Your thoughts on the French Dispatch? Well, Dave, my thoughts on the French Dispatch are best summed up in the form the limerick. Francis, Benicio, and Timothy, and tons of visual symmetry. Mm-hmm. I was engrossed, but it's surely the most Wes Anderson movie in history. Ooh. Nice. Very, ni- very nicely done, Jeff. That was very good. Yes. And that, that was the point I was just making. It is the point you were just making. Yeah. Often I find that you make the exact point that I'm going to make in my limerick right before I say my limerick. It happens. We don't plan this either. Extremely people. frequently. It's absolutely yeah. infuriating for you. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. is. It is uh, insufferable. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if this is the best Wes Anderson movie, but it is the most Wes Anderson movie. West, Wes Anderson movie. Um, not West. Uh, I, I'm with Devendra. I loved it. I, I do think if one of the stories was taken out, it would still be a great movie. It doesn't, sure, it, is, sure. it doesn't need as many stories as we get. Like, I think it's just maybe one too long. Yeah. Um, and some of them I definitely like more than others. Yeah. Uh, the Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody one is my favorite uh, by, by a, quite a wide margin. The NFT one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I think the Francis McDormand, Timothée Chalamet one is my least favorite. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. But it's, it's interesting. Style. It is, it's, all of them yeah. are interesting. Yeah. And and you guys are so right. I mean, I'm just going to underscore everything you've, you've already said, which is it's so obvious why this guy made stop motion animated movies. It's because mm-hmm. I think in his greatest dream is to be able to just put everybody exactly where he wants them. And, and photograph yeah. it exactly where he wants them. I mean, there are sequences in this movie where literally everybody is is whole, is uh, pretending to be frozen in time, but they're still blinking, you know. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's I love seeing his quirky view of the world, and because everything is so staged. And I think Dave, you use the perfect word, which is tableaus, right? He is mm-hmm. he thinks in tableaus. He expresses his film in tableaus, every single prop, every set piece, every item, every light, every actor is positioned just so 
in order to express this almost an abstraction of a moment, almost a, as you said, sort of the platonic ideal of a moment. Uh, and and I love it. I, I mean, I'm so, I eat it up. I love, it's so beautiful and the way everything, I mean, I can only imagine how many takes of things it, it must mm-hmm. require to get mm-hmm. something to work exactly as you want it. And I, I can imagine that this, this filmmaker working in stop motion must feel so liberated because it could be exactly how he wants it to work <laughs> because he's not dealing with fallible humans, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, but in this movie, there's no fallible, uh, seems present, right? Everything seems to be exactly positioned as he wants it. And the result is something that is unlike any other filmmaker working, or I think that has ever worked. I think it is just such a unique vision, a unique style of storytelling. And it is, accentuated so much in this particular film. Uh, and, and I loved it. I just felt it was so, it's, it's not, there's no movie like this, right? It's, it, it is, mm-hmm. it's not trying to do any one thing in particular. It does a bunch of different things. It takes you through all these very disparate stories that are sort of loosely jumbled together. Each story is, is kind of a meditation on a theme you get to see great acting, I think. And there's, it's, it's like, um, it's like getting to eat a smorgasbord that is presented by a meticulous presenter of food. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You're, you're yeah. almost afraid to move anything or touch. Exactly. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you, and you don't necessarily like everything either. Right. Right. Well, yeah. But you're just all amazed amazing. at right. how all that food is presented, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, right. I don't want to eat the asparagus, but man, it's beautiful looking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think you've said a lot there that's that's right on, Jeff. I, I agree. There's not any other movies like this. There's not any other filmmakers working at this level with this mm-hmm. level of detail and in this style. And so for that reason alone, it is worth watching. I think the stories were really hit or miss for me, right, uh, in some ways. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I come out really liking this movie because I think there is just certain emotional gut punches that we'll talk about momentarily and the spoilers uh, that really resonated with me and certain themes in the movie that really resonated with me as well. And so uh, I, I really liked it. I think there's just uh, a lot of skill that went into making this film and I, I think people will appreciate it. I'm bummed it's not doing better at the theater right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. For sure. um, But yeah, uh, so why don't we get into some spoilers, talk about our favorite ones of these stories. Here we go. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because of course. You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So there are one, two, three, four stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Cycling Reporter, which felt more like a amuse bouche yeah, in your yeah. smorgasbord idea. Getting used to the uh, the style of this movie, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, Sazerac's thing, I played by <laughs> Owen Wilson, I believe. Um, the Concrete Masterpiece, the Benicio del Toro one, Revisions to a Manifesto, this is the one um, with Francis McDormand and, and Chalamet, um, heavily based on the May 68 protests in France. Mm. And then the Private Dining Room of the Police Commissioner, uh, which is... Uh, the Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright, Wright story, yeah. uh, very uh, heavily inspired by James Baldwin, that character is. Mm. Um, and so those are kind of 
the overall thing. My my favorite one was the private dining room of the commissioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my second um, favorite one. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's really the concrete masterpiece in that one that really made yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I I think the first of all, I was very psyched that the uh, single Asian character in this movie did not have a goofy accent. So I was very <laughs> very happy about well, that. I was and worried the, that they yes. were doing the oh oh is he just going to be silent the whole time? Right. And then the movie calls that out a little bit too yes, and gives him yes. a very meaningful it gives you know, him a very meaningful that, like kind of denouement at the end there. Yeah. And and I really really appreciated that. And yeah, and I think like to that story and and to some degree, um, the movie is about. The idea of being a foreigner, right, and the mm-hmm, idea of like, mm-hmm. like when I th- when I think of like Grand Buda- Grand Budapest Hotel, right, the the takeaway I have from that movie is about how meaningful uh, our relationships with like service people in our lives are. I know it's like it sounds mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. goofy to say, but like the pl- the places we go, like restaurants and hotels, like these places um, occupy huge areas of meaning in our lives, and like these places leave like a huge and lasting legacy. And that's kind of like my big takeaway from Grand Budapest. That's my personal takeaway. You're welcome to have a different one. And when I watch this movie, French Dispatch, my takeaway is about like what it's like to be a foreigner. Like these people are putting this magazine out that's in this other country. And, um, and to be kind of like a tourist and, and want to feel home. And there's that moment when like this weird aside, when Jeffrey Wright's character turns to the camera and talks about what it's like to like find a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it just really was arresting to me that when he, when he talked about it, cause it's like that, that a restaurant is kind of this place where no matter where you are, you can feel you, you have the possibility of feeling at home there, you know? And, mm-hmm. and there's Doesn't it just, it feel like Wes Anderson speaking in that, I, I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was in uh, Paris once, uh, years ago. Years. You're, ago. you're talking as Jeff Canada right now. Right? Uh, yes, yeah. Jeff Canada. I was in Paris years ago, <laughs> and went into a restaurant, and Wes Anderson was sitting there writing in a journal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, no matter which restaurant in Paris you walk into, Wes Anderson will be sitting there writing in a journal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. feel like that that is who he is. And I feel like this movie is kind of an expression of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He perfectly yeah. captures that ambiance too, like that sense of like, you know, Oh, you're traveling. Oh, this is so kind of cool and exotic, but also homely in a way too. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And, and to just expand on that specific segment too, like the, the idea of like the poison tasting, unlike anything you'd ever tasted before. What a fascinating yeah. idea, heart, kind of a heartbreaking idea, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the idea that like, this guy who's like mastered all the tastes, the one taste he hasn't been, or the one flavor he he hasn't mastered yet is the one that will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, love love that last segment is very very it's fantastic. So cool, and the little powerful, kid yeah. being trapped in places, and like all the cutaway shots that <laughs> it, it it's just it, such a cool way to express all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The shootouts. That, it becomes a heist movie, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I don't know how you guys felt. I mean, I thought the animation was cool, but it, it, it felt it. to me like the animation was because they couldn't afford to do the chase sequence. Yeah, Probably. I was curious about that. I was yeah. curious, but I think it's very uh, New Yorker inspired is the yeah, whole yes, graphic sure. design the whole thing. And also, so it, like, it is yeah. that segment is Jeffrey Wright telling a story too. Right? Yeah. His superpower is that he can remember every, every so word cool. he's written, which, damn, give me that superpower. I know. Isn't that well, such right. a rad thing? <laughs> well, guys, you know, I am, we've talked about how awesome this movie is i really think it is very great and mm-hmm. you should watch it i am not a crackpot but 
I think there's too many framing devices, guys. I, I, I just <laughs> too many. Like, between, this is like Inception of like nesting. French, like I actually watched Grand Budapest, and I had uh-huh. forgotten how many framing devices there were in that movie. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. like at least three framing devices in that movie, where like mm-hmm. it's like uh, I think it's a boy or a girl like is reading this book, and then you see Tom Wilkinson, the author of the book. And then he's narrating a thing that a meeting between two people, and then then you're flashing back from that to the other thing. It's like I, I understand that on some level, right? Like what he's trying to get to, right? Which is that mm-hmm. Wes Anderson is a filmmaker that likes to point out the art of storytelling. Yes. He wants you to know that there is a filmmaker at work here. You are being told a story. I, I and, think he's in love with the written word, mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. makes visual stories. To express his love of the written word. Yeah. I, I think which that's is right. interesting to me. But yeah. like every single one of these stories has a framing device, right? Every single one of them, like, you know, Tilda Swinton is giving a uh, lecture. Lecture. Yeah. Right. And and then like, is that's the story. And then, you know, the, and so, and so on. Like every one of them has it. And I'm just kind of like, at some point, I just feel like you're starting to reach the diminishing returns of the framing device. <laughs> I mean, you so, know, like, some people are like too many framing devices. I think other people, of which I am a member, I want more. Yeah, I'm Give team. More. I'm let's team go, Devendra. Let's go deeper. I'm, let's I'm, go. Team, I'm team framing device as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I guess. I, I, I guess I'm just like I get the point that you're trying to communicate. It's, it's balancing a, teapots. It's like me. a hat on a hat <laughs> is what Jeff Canada would say. Like, oh, I give me more hats. I want to see him balance more teapots. Like, yeah, yeah I want mm. keep the keep the whole thing going. Like, like, that is it, the speaking thing, of yeah. hats. It's it's like the if you've read Cat in the Hat, where he's like, <laughs> you know, a, a, there's a page in a Cat in the Hat where he says, I can do I can do more. I can stand on this and on that and on this and on that and on this and on that. And I feel like that's exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. And then like it, I, I started clapping after a point where it's just like, oh, this 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 movie is just going going crazy it's really going into it's like oh we're in an animated car chase now yes give it to me like (laughs) give me more uh so tell me about why the concrete masterpiece was your favorite jeff i i mean that one i i love what it says about art i love Mm -hmm. the exploration Mm -hmm. the the benicio del doro character the relationship like this idea of creating art I mean, it's about a tortured artist, right? It's about needing to express something, even though you are this sort of brutish, uh, you know, anti-artist in a lot of ways. Um, I love, I, I love the reveal of the fact that he painted it on the walls, and that we get, <laughs> we get the title before we even get to that reveal. And I still didn't sure, put it sure. together, you know, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> what is it like structurally uh, supporting? Uh, it's so, so brilliant, so brilliant. Um, I just, I mean, I loved all of it. I love Balaban and Winkler, like just standing in, in, in a spot and staring at a thing. I mean, all of the characters are, I, I love Simone, like her, what's, what's going on with her and how mm-hmm. that she is so, she is so interesting as oh, a character. Yeah. A great yeah. character. I mean, I love that actress. I mean, she's mm-hmm. exquisite and that sequence where she like, he wants to quit and she just won't let him is so awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, Adrian Brody's character, like the fact that he's like in prison, <laughs> sees something the the manufacturing of artistic desire, like mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. the things that it's talking about, I just found to be so it's like catnip for me. Yeah. I would just love it. Also, so relevant to a lot of things happening mm-hmm. today, I think, too, where like uh, the, the NFT conversation is so much about mm-hmm. the this speculative marketplace for things that are uh, like art, quote unquote. I don't know. Um, but it's funny like to see that uh, mentality because I don't 
I'm not like I like to go to museums. I like to appreciate paintings. I don't follow the business side of the art world, but apparently a lot that's true of a lot of it. The idea that uh, I think even Tenet kind of explores a little that very rich people just like to buy art and hold it because there's value to that and never actually look at it. Um, that exploration I found to be really fascinating here. Yeah. And I love the Tilda Swinton framing device, like mm -hmm. her giving that speech is fascinating and funny. And, you know, when yeah. she accidentally puts her a slide of herself in there and how she's constantly revealing way too much about her own relationship yeah. with him. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. oh, so good. It's so yeah, good. That, that it was, was a, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I definitely enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Devendra, go ahead. What are you gonna say? I was saying that also feels like uh, people who are very into the art world, like coming in from, from the observer side of it, trying to insert themselves into it. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was totally had an affair with him. Yeah, we were we were totally like very very close. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it is a very type of personality that that would kind of do that. And when I was in New York, I would see that all the time. You know, it just felt really true to life. Uh, any thoughts on the second story, or the I guess it's the third story technically? Revisions, Revisions to the manifesto. manifesto. It's my I least favorite for sure. Yeah, it but it's, really it's lovely strike, though. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't love the fact that it's this like cliche that we've seen of like the reporter sleeping with her source, you know, yeah. um, which is I mean, like a, a sure, very played sure. out thing. But Dorman and... is great in it. She's great in it. There's yes. a great like Harold and Maude thing to yeah. that, which I think mm -hmm. is, it's not just her sleeping with the source. It's like uh, this kid sees her in a way that she sees herself, right? Like even her friends, like you got to meet, you, you need a guy, you know, you, you need to like, you can't be alone in life. And he sees her and what she's trying to do and she's fine with it. And that is the that is how they cement the relationship. So to me, that is an exploration of the lonely writer and of the idea that mm. you can only accomplish this art and this thing you're trying to do by kind of isolating yourself from the world and maybe not having those connections that normal people have. And this kid is just saying, hey, that's OK. It's fine. This is what you want to do. And you're living a very true life, you know. So I don't know. It hit me in that respect. It wasn't it was it, certainly the the trope of a reporter sleeping with her sources there. But it didn't feel like that was. It yeah, felt it wasn't more like she it wasn't was in about control. that or anything. It wasn't like about that. that. She yeah. was in control. It's not like he's taking advantage of her yeah. or anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, I don't know. E even now, like I, I <laughs> struggle to kind of think back to what the impact of that whole story really was on me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> as much as I loved her performance, I feel like you could just lift that whole section out of the movie, and it doesn't make the movie worse. Personally, I will say it certainly has the kind of same production values you know as the rest of the movie you know like mm -hmm, yeah. is there a do they do like the kind of like flash forward slash back to the play that's based off the writings of the guy in that one i think you know like yeah at one point it like yeah. flashes yeah, that, to like a play yeah. you know a wild sequence where he's like on the bunk bed and he jumps yes, off and, and all jumps that. off yeah, yeah it's like and, and there's there's many kind of lovely moments like with the restaurant and the sets being wheeled in and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah, it's there's there's some nice moments in that one, but like that one didn't mm -hmm. really leave much of an emotional impression on me. I just I love the yeah. personality of it too, especially now as we're like exploring like uh, also young people trying to foment re revolutions in their societies and things. Yeah. too. It, it seems really interesting. I like the callbacks by the way, like the the play setting in that sequence and also the shootout in the private dining room. It's all very Rushmore too like we, mm -hmm. we we've seen him kind of explore this and now to see him like you know as a fully formed artist like being able to like really take those things and you know use those like set pieces and techniques again uh i found really heartening you know somebody who really who's been watching him since bottle rocket so 
Yeah, yeah. The nice Chalamet character very much feels like <laughs> the Rushmore character in yes. a different context. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right, folks. Any other thoughts? Hey, Cycling we all... Reporter. We didn't talk about Cycling Reporter, but Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. That is that's my PB and J. That is my comfort. So good. Like I, I love the that being the story of this movie too. It's like, oh yeah, I, I know these guys. They know each other. They have this great vibe together. And what is great about that sequence is that it's mostly just visual comedy. It is yeah. pratfalls. It is very simple <laughs> stuff, but it's so it's so good because it sets you up for the vibe in this weird place because, of course, the town is named Ennui. You know, it's just it, these aren't subtle things, but it's kind of funny how they're kind of playing around with them. Also love to hear uh, Angelica Houston back in the Wes Anderson verse as though this is a narrator of yeah. this film mm. so the, uh, lots of the, that mm-hmm. shot in that one of the of the the town coming to life and it's just the, the camera placed in a spot and it's empty and then yeah. everybody pe- populates it it comes to life suddenly on a monday uh, morning yeah unbelievable Love i mean it. it's so Love it's so wes anderson it's but i like, think what i what i like about that sequence and and kind of the movie as a whole right is that it is about how to understand a place mm-hmm. if that makes any sense like yeah when we think of a place what are the ways in which we comprehend it right and the Owen Wilson story gives a really nice overview of that. But again, you know, mm-hmm. private dining room of the police commissioner really drives that point home. I think mm-hmm. it's a nice kind of bookends to the whole For thing. Sure. Yeah. So. And we haven't really talked about the, the actual bookend sequences to this movie, but this movie starts with them saying, Hey, the editor died. And yeah. when he died, he basically demanded this newspaper be shut down. So this whole, you know, they, I think the final sequence where everybody gets together is like, okay, well, he's dead. Let's write his eulogy all together as a team. That really, uh, I don't know, that really got me because I love the power of a newsroom getting together and collaborating on ideas I, together. I think at the end when mm-hmm. they're like dictating it sentence by sentence, that is the thing that we're hearing at the beginning, if yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. I think yeah. so, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's uh, lovely. It's beautiful. It's moment. lovely. I would have, I, I wouldn't cut anything for this movie. I would love to see more. Like, I want to know more <laughs> about this, like about the structure of this paper and how they all work. Like they give us a little bit at the beginning. We see Elizabeth Moth, like Moss. So, so little too. like there, there's just so much going on there. I love the, all these different writers. The one guy who just doesn't write anything and just reads all day and yeah. eats apples. Like, What's his story? What's going on there? I just, I, I would love to hear all the stories from these people. So in that respect, I think this movie is a success, you know? It I agree. I, I wish we had way world. more Bill Murray. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks. Well, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Wes Anderson made a movie. So I think we can all agree on that. Indeed. And uh, stick around to hear what we'll be discussing next week. But in the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can back this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast. Our spoiler bumper was brought to you courtesy of uh, filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. And our new theme song comes from Tim McEwen of Varsity Blue and The Midnight. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Next week, we'll be discussing, as I'm pulling up my notes... Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. They made another Ghostbusters movie, guys. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this. Yeah. yeah. I saw it last night. But they made another one. And uh, let's do Ghostbusters, uh, but not make it a comedy. Apparently. Hopefully, they didn't we'll spend $200 million on this one. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll find out. I am very curious how it's going to go. Uh, that's what we'll be reviewing here on the Filmcast next week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you later.
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.